Hello, my name's Sarah Branton. You're listening to the Pearl Project podcast. So please, prepare to enter the impossible. to record this episode, I think, (laughs) because I decided um, somewhere along the way that uh, I was going to record my story, my life's story, uh, my journey up until this point in my life. And I I haven't really told my story in a while, in a, in a long while. And that's because the way that I was telling my story, at some point I recognized that the way that I always told it was really rooted in these specific pain points and trauma points and in some ways was quite wrapped up in a victim mentality. And as I've continued doing my own journey and through my own self-work that just I didn't want to tell my story like that anymore it just didn't really resonate with me it didn't feel true the way that I had been telling the story to continue telling it in that way and so I've been a bit nervous I've been a bit nervous and maybe a little bit um uh, hesitant to get in front of the microphone, which is, if you've never done it before, it is quite a curious thing to do to sit and to sit in front of no one and have a conversation. But of course, if you're listening right now, then I'm speaking to you. And there's a bit of magic in that, in the sense that me recording this right now is traversing through different timelines in some ways to meet you where you are and what I might say has the potential to ping and spark and land and oomph and clunk in ways that I don't even know, in ways that you don't even know. And I love that. I just love that about people. I love that about our relationships, our connections. To me, that feels very magical. Uh, the way that one person's essence can travel throughout time. And we see that a lot, of course, with people who are no longer with us. So thank you if you're listening. Hello from the past, hello to the future, all those good things. So a thought that I had as I, I was sitting in my nervousness was how great it is to be able to settle into your own energy and also to be able to settle your own energy. And, you know, throughout my life, I've used all manner of different ways to um, regulate my nervous system or to calm myself down or to, you know, all of these things. Also, it's magically 11.11 right now as I'm recording this, a little nighttime magic. So make a wish if you're listening. 
but ways to settle the energy. So yes, you know, uh, some ways to do that. We've got like kind of classic embodiment techniques like shaking or rocking or, you know, for some people that might take take form in stimming or something like this. You know, other ways it's like you might smudge or burn some incense or clear a space with the sound. You might do some drumming or a sound bowl or, you know, any of these things, even take a shower. And I love all of those things and I've used all of those things before, that's for sure, and still do. And as my path has grown and as I've grown, I've really found the value in being able to connect back into myself without any external tools. And so commonly nowadays, I do that with touch and with breath. Really, these are the most subtle forms that we have to connect back into ourselves, but they're very, very powerful. And with that being said, you know, I also had a nice shower to kind of nice hot shower to sort of settle my my little nerves a bit, which absolutely helps. So shout out to a hot shower any day. Uh, But that's enough of an introduction. So my story. I honestly still, even at, at the prospect of trying to tell my story, I'm finding it difficult. It's kind of like, where do I even begin? Um, Because some things it's like, oh, maybe I'll start there and then go backwards. Or maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, But in the honoring time and the lucid nature of time, I'm going to tell my story in all sorts of ways. So I was born on the 30th of August, 1993, to my parents, Helen and Harold. I was their firstborn child. Four years later, uh, Raphael would be born. And it was Raph and I throughout our whole lives and still is. So there's the four of us in my immediate family. My mom's background is Cypriot, so from Cyprus. And my dad's background, uh, Australian, uh, out in the country, so up in Maribara, very much Australian bush farmer kind of vibe. Overall, comparatively to some families, I do regard my family as a whole as being quite small. I have three cousins, you know, immediate cousins in total. And I find that to be quite intimate. You know, I know some people who they have siblings upon siblings and their parents have siblings and siblings and, you know, there's just these huge families. And, of course, like as the tendrils move out, um, especially on my mum's side, you know, there's all this Greek family that I am aware of but I don't know too intimately. So there is quite a big essence in my ancestral line, but I don't know them all so closely, you know, and that's really, that's something to be noted, I think, because growing up in a really big family, there is a very different feeling. I've always felt very connected to my family, even at times when maybe I didn't want to, or didn't want to be a part of the family. I think we probably all go through times like this in our lives. 
And there are a couple of elements that really stick out to me from my childhood. And those are these feelings of magic and also loneliness. So I think I was always drawn to the odd, to the alternative, to the strange, to the magical as a child. And I also felt quite lonely a lot of the time. And perhaps some of those things go hand in hand. And I can see as an adult the ripple effects of having grown up in that way, which is not to say that I was alone or very often, you know, these these things alone and loneliness do not always um, go together. And, you know, now as an adult having access to these systems and these knowledge like human design, I know that my personality sun gate is gate 40, which is the gate of aloneness, which is um, a fascinating concept to really contemplate as being a a core energetic within my system. Uh, But I really do recognize, recognize it in there. It's worth mentioning a couple of things about my parents who are both esoteric uh, booksellers or have been um, in their careers. And in some ways that is kind of how they met. Uh, But I'm not going to tell that story. But it's important to note this kind of um, spiritual element to the both of them in their own way uh, because that really has filtered down in and through me in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, I'm a very, very spiritual person. At my birthday, my mum made a speech and she mentioned something and said, like, yeah, I don't think uh, Harold or I really expected that Sarah would be more spiritual than both of us combined. But anyway, here we are. Uh, But I mentioned that because it really filtered into my worldview. And I did reject it for some time. So that is also part of my story. But I bring it up here because I it's worth mentioning that I went to a Steiner school throughout my entire uh, education. So I went to a Steiner primary school and then I moved to another Steiner high school uh, later on for year seven. And that also has, you know, that also played quite a significant part in a lot of ways. When people ask me about that time, I they, they often ask me what it was like, if it was good. And there were a lot of elements that were, I think, equal to probably any child's experience uh, of growing up and being in a body and being like, what the fuck is going on? However, I know that it really did provide a foundation for myself as an individual and really nurturing my soul because that's uh, that's a foundational aspect to a lot of Steiner's work as far as I am aware. Um, I haven't really read any of his work in detail, but as far as I know, the education system is designed in a lot of ways uh, for the development of the child and the development of consciousness. And this is something that is also ripples out into my work nowadays in the gene keys. You know, Richard Rudd speaks about Steiner education system 
in a couple of the keys when he talks about his own children who uh, attend Steiner schools or Waldorf schools. Um, you may have heard them referred to as. Now, with that being said, I <laughs> the way that I've always told this part of the story was that it was pretty rough. And it was, honestly. Like, I was bullied pretty relentlessly throughout high school just for being a little bit on the skirts, you, you know, on the outskirts. And it's funny, like, being bullied at a Steiner school because it's like we're already kind of the weirdos of the outside, but then it's like being the outside of the outside of the outside. It's like, okay, that's a whole other thing. But I really did have a rough time throughout <laughs> throughout those years, especially the early high school years. Um, I felt that I was a very out of place kind of child and that I really didn't, that I wasn't really understood and didn't really quite fit in entirely anywhere. I was a bit of this and a bit of that and interested in so many different things that I was just kind of like, oh, I don't know. And so I think I went very insular during that time and found a lot of comfort and solace in uh, different forms of media, which, again, I think probably a lot of teens or a lot of us can probably relate to about our younger parts. So for me, it was Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, Harry Potter, of course. I grew up with Harry Potter. Twilight came later. But Buffy and X-Men. These are like some real like foundational elements of my teenage years. Like early on, it was like fairies and then later all these weird books, but fairies, Buffy, X-Men. And then recently as an adult, The Hunger Games, which is also really funny, but I'm sure that kind of paints picture of uh, what was going on in my, in my little, little teenage brain. Something that I do want to drop in here being recently a journeying in uh, my teacher's container called Bones. Uh, we've recently been journeying the theme of body and specifically home as the body. And my teacher invited us to write out our body story throughout our entire life in five-year increments. Uh, and that it's quite a profound piece of homework for anyone to do. And what I recognized throughout that journey and that contemplative process, writing that out, is that for a lot of my life up until this point, and what was really cemented into my awareness as a young woman, as a young girl, was that my body existed for other people and my body was not my own. And this really became apparent to me in a lot of my early relationships. Uh, as a young teenager, I wanted, you know, being an outsider, I wanted connection as, as any of us, <laughs> as any of us do at any stage of our lives. But with that, you know, with that teen energy behind it, it was quite obsessive. And I wanted a boyfriend. I wanted to be kissed more than anything. It was all consuming this desire. And so when I was 16, I had my first boyfriend. And oh, oh, did that settle in some, <laughs> some, 
some patterns of behavior for me. Oh boy. But, you know, being so desirous of this outcome, I was like, I'll do anything to keep to keep this reality. And so that was when I lost my virginity. Also a strange concept. <laughs> I spoke about this on stories recently, but I watched Hocus Pocus for the first time last night and I was just astounded that pretty much the entire plot of the film is founded around that this child is a virgin and because there needs to be a virgin to summon the witches. And this kid just gets ragged off for being a virgin like the entire film. And I just thought that was like so hilarious and strange, but also I guess very indicative of the time. Anyway, I thought that was very funny and just calling someone a virgin as an insult is just so hilarious to me that I've decided that maybe I'm going to bring it back. Anyway, we'll see about that. Anyway, so I lost my this concept of I lost my virginity or found my sexuality at the age of 16, one or the other. And from that point on, actually, well, actually, it's worth saying that that relationship didn't last long and, you know, being a teenage relationship. And after he broke up with me, I was so depressed. I really was quite devastated. But I remember very clearly my friends one day said to me, come on, like, let's go see a movie after school. And this was in 2010. And we went and saw Inception at the cinema. And I remember being so in awe of the expansion, like the expansive thinking of it, that it just totally snapped me out of my depressive episode. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess like, let's not worry about that, <laughs> which was quite profound. So thanks to um, Inception and my friends for that. I think that something about that film that really struck me at the time and has really stayed with me was this recognition of the way that reality is malleable and the way that, you know, like they go into the dream realm and things seem real, but they're not. And then you come back into the real world and they seem real, but they're not. And, you know, it's like kind of this question of like, what is real, like throughout the whole film. And I don't think that I quite had this thought at the time, but now looking back, it I think it was a moment of being like, oh, we we are the creators of our reality. And again, I don't, I definitely didn't have that thought at the time, but I think there was the the hint of it back then. And what's interesting is that after that point, things really shifted for me in my social experience at school. I became a lot more confident, uh, a lot more I became a lot more confident and honestly, I think I just became happier within myself and what I was doing. I very clearly in my mind chose subjects not based off what would get me good marks, but based off of what I would really love. And 
you know, throughout VCE, that was mainly arts, you know, these subjects that get marked down. But I ended up doing really phenomenally well. Uh, one of the standout things for me was my uh, high school photography career where I was totally immersed and relatively obsessed with darkroom photography. I would just be in the darkroom for hours and hours and hours um, generating prints for my folios. I also did drama. I also did music, which I loved so much, but ended up doing like, I think I did actually pretty poorly in music and drama, which is kind of hilarious, especially considering that then I went on to do a performing arts degree. <laughs> and actually I'm going to rewind a little bit, jump in time there back to when I was in year eight and I started doing YBC, which is Young Australian Broadway Chorus. And I think maybe I like got involved in that from recommendation from a friend. Can't quite remember. But in any case, that exposed me to the wonderful world of musical theatre and I, and that really uh, supported me through my strange, lonely misfit phase, you know, of life and found a lot of solace in musical theatre and in these musicals that I, I think – you know, any if you're a musical theatre kid, like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the relevance of that there is that I had a love of performing for quite some time already. So at the end of year 12, you know, this question that you asked to 18-year-olds, well, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Which is so bizarre and strange thing to ask a teenager. But in any case, I was really, I felt really sort of torn between pursuing my photography passions and performing arts. And I ended up pursuing performing arts. I took a gap year, not the traditional kind where people just go to Europe. I just ended up working and really embellishing on my misfit identity I had my first girlfriend who, you know, she went to the same high school as me. So I had my coming out experience or the first one rather, which was quite daunting, of course, uh, but also totally fine. Uh, I think I'd always known or felt, you know, felt confident or some sort of truth in considering myself as queer. And I think that was because I have two gay aunts and also the way that my parents always spoke about queerness. It was never an othering kind of thing. It was more like I really got the essence from them that it was a spectrum and that you just fall into these different sort of spaces on the wheel of sexuality, I suppose, or expression in that way. So it wasn't very surprising for me necessarily, but the consequence of the external world was very, very daunting. And I remember telling my one of my best friends, who is still one of my best friends to this day, I remember telling her in the car on the way back from a party or a gig or something, we were 18, and I told her that I was gay and that I had a girlfriend and she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> It was pretty much a non-event, but of course it was quite an event for me on the inside. So 
throughout this gap year period, I had a series of relationships, uh, which is quite chaotic, I would say, uh, as should be uh, when you're 18, 19. Quite a turbulent time, like I said, very much the misfit vibes. And then towards the end of that period, I began a relationship with someone who I knew just through mutual friends and working together at our misfit job at the time. And this, uh, mm, I haven't spoken about this relationship in a long time because the the way that I used to talk about it was that it was very toxic and uh, turbulent and addictive in many ways uh, on both of our parts. But And, and there's truth in that. <laughs> but I feel like kind of tongue-tied at the moment because I'm like, well, how do I want to talk about it now? And this is the thing where I'm like this whole podcast episode is really like an unraveling for me. Uh, it, I'm certainly like pulling at threads and not knowing where the the ball is going to roll to next. But this, in many ways, this relationship marks a very significant point in my journey. And I'll get to why that is in a short moment. So during this time, I'm beginning uni, my performing arts degree, I'm experiencing this whole new environment, making new friends. I'm also getting new jobs during this time, feeling independent, earning money for the first time. Uh, I remember really clearly the first time that I was able to buy a pair of sneakers that I wanted with my own money that I'd earned. It was just like, like such a incredible feeling. Probably so much so that it really led to uh, an ongoing shopping addiction for most of my 20s, Um, but, you know, that's life. So a multitude of important things happened during the period when I was getting my performing arts degree. Uh, I actually had someone ask me, I put in a little question box on my Instagram, and someone asked me how I got into theatre and I think in some ways this is where it kind of points to (laughs) do we do the choosing or does the choosing do us? Because in many ways, I don't know, it just happened, honestly. As much as it definitely was conscious choice along the way and decisions that I made, it just was one foot in front of the other and that's what I was doing. And so for those of you who don't know, I actually have had a – career in the performing arts now for, I don't know, pretty much 10 years or close to, if I include my degree in that time. I have been predominantly a director. I think that most people get into performance wanting to be an actor and there's an element of my nature that is performative in a true sense. The little, play a little character, do a little dance, sing a little song. I I really do love performing, but I found that my greatest uh, skills really lied on the external, on the outside looking in. So this is doing, you know, directing, dramaturgy, these sort of outer elements looking in at the details rather than being on the inside looking out, even though, as I said, I really do still love those elements. (laughs) And if you follow me on Instagram, you know, you know the girlie loves to do a little performance. 
During that time at university, I met my first artistic mentor, a wonderful man who supported me and we worked together for many years um, creating theatre for children. And that was really, that was that was really important because his support and his trust in me really shaped me in a lot of ways to truly begin to believe in my gifts and my abilities and be able to see what I was capable of. Now the actual, that that didn't really land for some years, but I can really recognize now in this moment, even just recording this now, that a lot of seeds were planted during that time that you know, have allowed me to flourish in the ways that I am now. So that was really important for me in that process. So jumping back a little bit to that relationship that I bookmarked before, um, that was a four-year relationship in my early 20s um, with someone who, I mean, it was my first significant relationship. I loved this person so much. And as the models that are provided for us, I was like, well, okay, like obviously this is the person I'm going to be with um, because this is just how things are given to us. So that's what we buy into, right? But as I mentioned, there was a lot of turbulence like within that relationship and um, so much so that like I said before in my body story, this relationship really highlights the way that I believed that my body was for other people and not for myself. And it got to a point where I drew a line and that line was not recognized. Now that's all, that's all being a bit vague, but uh, the long and the short of it is that I said no about something and then he went and found it somewhere else. And so this is also a funny thing to talk about. Well, I think it's kind of funny, especially being a three in human design, in my human design profile. I have this experience, these experiences throughout my life where it's like I experience one end of the spectrum and then get to experience the other end. And what's interesting actually is that in my, a good friend of mine is, um, has quite a bit of expertise, uh, in relation to tarot cards and, uh, she was talking about life tarot cards. And so I learned that my life tarot cards are the lovers and the devil. And, you know, if you look into this, you'll, you'll see pretty quickly that all of the pairings are kind of these curious juxtapositions because it's all about sort of the balance of these elements. And so I bring that up to say that, you know, early in my, early, early in my dating life, when I was 18, 19, I, I was doing a lot of cheating. I was cheating on people. I was getting in relationships that I did not want to be in. And then I was cheating on other, cheating on them and then getting with all these other people and doing all this hooking up, which all sounds very exciting, but honestly, it it wasn't even that exciting. But I say that because then this, uh, this relationship that I'm, I've been speaking of this later one in my early twenties, how it ended was he cheated on me a couple of times for me once shame on you for me twice, shame on me. Yeah, it was a bit like that. And so 
I recognized that it was not good. What was happening was not good. And I knew that very, very viscerally. But I was so attached to this person that the thought of being without him was pretty devastating. And so I made an attempt to break up with him upon the grounds of his infidelity. And I began seeing a psychologist for the first time, which I actually met her through him, my ex's parents. So, you know, that's all a bit like perfect and convoluted. But I actually was so depressed that I, uh, that we stayed together. And I remember the psychologist at the time saying to me quite permissively that, you know, there will be a time where things will become clear and I don't need to force that. Those weren't her exact words. I think her words were more along the lines of, well, if if it's between you being alive and uh, staying with this guy, she was like, just stay with this guy. And one day you'll look at him and you'll know that it's over. And I did find that to be true. Now, I need to talk about this psychologist. So this is where I have always kind of started my story. And I've been talking for some time already. <laughs> but this is where I would generally always start my story because this is where truly my journey into conscious awareness really began, uh, was at the end of this relationship and the start of my working relationship with this psychologist. And she has been a very important figure for me in my journey because she, in a lot of ways, got me set back towards my correct path in a lot of ways. So eventually, me and that guy, we broke up for reals. Super devastating. Very much as I've just hinted at, there was some suicidal ideation, absolutely. It felt at that time. And actually, I do want to say this with some intention that I really, at that point in my life, I did not know how I was going to continue because it was so viscerally painful. And the thing that kind of collided with that time was a very significant back injury. So not only did I have the emotional pain, I also now had a physical trauma to match up with that. Now, this is quite significant because this begins my understanding and recognition of how the body represents what is going on in the emotional realm. And once again, I didn't really know it so clearly necessarily, but as time has gone on, I've been able to recognize the truth in this more and more. Popularly, we know about the book, The Body Keeps the Score, of course. It's kind of like there's the meme of it now. But it really is true in a lot of ways. But it doesn't stop there. The body keeps the score, yes, but what is the score that your body is keeping? Because that can very much be in relation to your mind, as I've learned over the years. So at this point in time, so it's 2016, the most significant relationship that I've been in has ended, up until this point has ended. I have a very significant back injury in which I feel like I like it's the end of the world, basically. And it kind of harkens back to those feelings of being a teenager where 
things do feel like life or death and it's very real and very potent and very sensational and very visceral. The feeling is kind of never ending. So as I begin to work with this psychologist, I begin to pull apart everything that has led up to that point in my life. Oh, and actually (laughs) I forgot to talk about something. (laughs) This is so funny because I just forgot to talk about this. Um, So something that is quite relevant at this point to introduce in the story is that uh, I grew up in a household with an alcoholic. Growing up, my dad was an alcoholic, very emotionally volatile, and my mom very, uh, I suppose, just uh, emotionally dependent on us kids uh, in ways that probably was not always appropriate. Anyway, forgot to mention that. And this psychologist that I was seeing was a specialist in addicts and people close to addicts and everyone's recovery. So she recommended to me that I started going that I go to Al-Anon meetings. And for those of you who don't know, Al-Anon is um, basically like AA, but for those affected, so families or partners. And in addition to that, I started going to like the sex addicts version because um, through the psychologist's diagnosis, my ex had been a sex addict and honestly, I probably was too. And so I started going to these meetings uh, and this is just like the one three of it all because I've just really done so many things. It's so funny. I think this is also the thing of trying to tell my story. I'm like, oh my God, where do I even begin? There's so much and there's no way I'm going to even fit it all into this podcast episode. But nevertheless, uh, we persist. So I'm going to these meetings they're really helping for a while. Eventually, they uh, I I kind of outgrow them, and I begin to recognize as I as actually is a pattern of mine is recognizing when the tool or support ends up being a hindrance or a prison. So what do I mean by that in this context is that I could recognize the uh, support and the help and the, the beauty that was in these meetings for supporting people and helping people um, to have more compassion for this situation within their lives. Uh, however, then I eventually recognized that people were stuck that they were trapped within their own thinking and their own victim consciousness and actually probably they didn't want to get out of it as much as maybe they thought that they did or said that they did. And I still do this even to this day and it is quite power view in a lot of ways seeing where people are disempowered within systems especially. You know, I'm a projector, I'll be looking at systems. So being able to see where the help stops and the hurt starts within things has certainly um, been present throughout my life, even up until this point. I mean, I still recognize it around me to this day. After I stopped going to those meetings, uh, I continued working with this psychologist for the next four years, I think it was, that we were working together. And I really can credit a lot of my self-development journey to the work that I did with her at that time. Now, that being said, like all 
credit to me, to be honest, because <laughs> I, I've been putting in the work for some time. Like it's 2023 now. I've been doing some hard-hitting uh, transformational work for the last seven years, very, very deliberately and very, very consciously. And so working with that psychologist, I, she actually pointed me towards spirituality, not so um, explicitly, but she did say to me at some point, she said, oh, you have healing hands. I don't know like where she picked that up from, but the lady was right. The lady was correct. And she, I do remember this very, very clearly, actually, um, <laughs> this one time when I think I was probably like particularly not feeling so crash hot. Um, she prescribed me going outside and um, standing naked under the full moon uh, with my bare feet on some grass. And you know what? I still do that to this day. So thank you for that prescription. Um, I recommend that for a lot of people, actually. If you have the resource to stand outside naked under the full moon, it will do you a lot of good a lot of the time. So working with that psychologist eventually came to a head when she uh, she said she planted a very insidious seed that I took on as my own. and. It was relevant at the time because we were doing some really specific work with a, an irrational fear of mine that I'd had throughout my life. And I think I probably want to do a separate episode on that. But the seed that she planted made a lot of logical sense. And so I took it on as fact and as true. <sighs> It's a little bit hard to talk about it without saying explicitly what it is, but for privacy reasons, I'm not going to. So to summarize, I'll just say that I was given a reality that I took on and processed and lived through. I took it on as my own, but that reality actually never happened to me. However, I lived as though it had. And again, in the perfection of things, this is when I recognize that my work in the arena of the mind and psychology had its own limitations. And so I was seeking in some ways, and I'm sure it was seeking me, the next piece of the puzzle. And that is when I found uh, the work of embodiment and spiritual embodiment, which coincided with the global pandemic of 2020. <laughs> so at that time, I had started working with a spiritual embodiment practitioner to work through this reality that I believed as mine. And that was, that was a very crucial, important part of the process, actually, because that was the beginning of actually getting into my body and out of my mind, or rather being able to hold the hands of both the body and the mind at the same time. And so that process went throughout 2020. I also began an internship with an embodiment practitioner, uh, and that was 
In some ways, that's when my work in this field began. However, I had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of blocks, a lot of blocks up at that time. And it's taken me another, you know, it took me another two years to be able to really own my space within that field and recognize that I know a hell of a lot and I have a lot of value to provide to the world. Um, But these things do take time. So this current portion of the story is encapsulating my exact Saturn return, Saturn in Aquarius. And throughout that time, I (laughs) completed a degree. I had three relationships, two or three relationships, multiple jobs. (laughs) I quit two jobs started a whole other job and also launched my current career as a spiritual coach and guide. So it does have all the kind of perfect Saturn return things. The last three years in some ways is, oh, and I also moved house three times. Like, God, let's not forget that. But the last three years to talk about it in some ways is kind of foggy because so much of it was so, oh, I don't know, so pained in so many ways and so strained. I was in another very significant relationship, which I thought was the forever one. I thought it was the forever one at the time. And that's a really curious kind of thing to say, (laughs) you know, looking back. I recognize now the things that were happening And the reasons why they needed to happen and ripple out in the way that they did. But it was very, very painful at the time. And I certainly was not acting my best self. And perhaps that's quite a Saturnian lesson in a lot of ways. Regardless, that was a very deep, very important relationship And it was also very important that it ended. And I say that both with a a tender heart and an open heart because these things are never quite as black and white or as simple as what we would really want them to be. They're just not. However, the end of that relationship was very much a catalyst for devoting myself to my spiritual path fully and completely. I had certainly been doing a lot of dabbling up until that time. Some really good dabbling, actually. You know, I don't want to discredit like everything that had come before, but it's really curious to me that uh, relationships have provided such immense springboards for me on my path. And I recognize that there is a story within there that maybe does or certainly can, has the potential to exist about relationships needing to end to grow. And at this point in my life and the work that I'm doing in my own time, I'm willing to let that one go. So that was a very whirlwind alchemical time. 
I had also in recent years just picked up human design and had been learning about that on my own for quite a while. And that was really doing my head in in a lot of ways because the information is strange and what does it mean and trying to translate it and then trying to apply it to real life. It was all really, really confusing and overwhelming in a lot of ways. And so it was around that time when I found my current teacher, Rebecca Freeman, who presented human design in a way that just kind of made my system go, ah, cool. (laughs) Thanks. And what I mean by that is that she teaches human design in a way that is just real. It's just, it translates into reality for me. And I know that a lot of other people have had that other, that same experience with her work. So that was mid 2022. And I have been working with Beck as my mentor ever since. And over the last year and the time that I've been working with her, the rootedness and the self-assuredness that I have within myself uh, is really just so immense. And I'm just so happy to be in the place that I am now. And so to echo a couple of things throughout my story, you know, there were so many, there have been so many points in my life where I've just not understood. I've just not understood why, why it's so painful. What are we doing? What's going on? There have been many times where I have not wanted to continue, where the pain has been so immense that I have not known how I would wake up the next day and that I would just, you know, going to sleep. I was like, thank God I can just stop thinking for some time. I remember around that time in 2016, maybe 2017, I was so distraught and there was so, everything just felt like so much of a challenge that I remember being in the park one day and just screaming up at the sky, what do you want from me? what do you want from me? And just praying for some kind of answer. And in some ways it's here and it's now and it's in the work that I'm doing. I recognize that, you know, like some people have open G centers, purpose. It's a, it's a, it's a topical topic. (laughs) Some people might not feel that they have that innate sense of purpose. And of course that's totally perfect in your in in their own differentiated way i do have a defined g center so there's very much a sense of i know who i am and i know where i'm going and i think that is true at this point in my life and of course it is subject to change you know there's i'm not so naive as to think that oh that's locked and loaded forever I've uttered enough forevers in my life to know that things are very subject to change. However, at this point, I do feel a great deal of calm in being myself and being loudly and proudly myself and giving that out to the world and being of service in whatever form that takes. You know, currently it takes 
the form in terms of this pot in, in the form of this podcast and offering sessions and mentorships and spiritual guidance. And one day that might change. I mean, I still do theater and performance work when it feels correct, you know. There are lots of different ways that I show up in the world. And the most important thing is that I am showing up in the world. And that is like the greatest thing that I can truly give forth with my life is my life itself. And so this has been a kind of curly-whirly time warp sort of way to tell my story. And considering that I haven't told it in a long time, I'm not surprised that, I mean, perhaps it doesn't come across that way, but it certainly felt a little clunky to tell it. And there's perfection in that as well. My life is not so polished that it would be easy to tell it in a polished manner. And I think that it would be true for anyone's life. So this is the first instalment of me telling my story up until this point. And by first instalment, I mean like that's like that that's done. Like I'm done telling my story for this episode <laughs> and for the time being. But I did uh, ask people some questions on my stories of what they would like to hear from me, and I will include that in a separate episode because I got some really truly profound questions and so I'm going to I'm probably I mean some of them honestly need a whole episode to themselves so recognizing that and honoring that <sighs> so that feels complete and if you hadn't already received a takeaway from this episode then please receive this a being yourself is one of the greatest gifts you can give to the world. So give it truly and give it freely. Okay. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to The Potty. You can find me on the socials at Sarah A. Branton or Enter the Pearl. Uh, on Substack, you can find me at Innocently Being, and I have some long-form pieces of writing there. A big thank you to Callum Chia for creating Pearl's theme song. And this podcast is made in collaboration with Not Self Productions. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.